Hi everybody, it's Eugene Driscoll. Welcome to Naval Gazing on ValleyIndy.org. We're also heard on WNHH 103.5 New Haven's Community Radio Station, and you can listen to us on YouTube, iTunes, Libsyn, and SoundCloud. Uh, joining me for the broadcast is reporter Ethan Fry. Hello. So we have something a little different planned for you today. We're going to be talking to first Margaret Rivera. She lives in Long Island. Uh, her valley connection is that she is the aunt of Isaiah Hernandez. Isaiah was a 25-year-old man who was shot and killed in an unsolved homicide took place in Ansonia on Wakeley Avenue back in 2011. Uh, Ms. Rivera had reached out to us several weeks ago. She just wanted to talk about the case so that people uh, basically don't forget. Secondly, maybe we can shake loose some information because, uh, mm. as I said, it, it's unsolved. Uh, it's actually one of four unsolved homicides in the city of Ansonia, three of which happened since uh, 2009. We also... Uh, we're also going to talk about later on in this broadcast the uh, murder of Daryl Venson, who was killed uh, at roughly the same time mm. in 2011 in Ansonia. He was also a 25-year-old man. Uh, then in the second half of the broadcast, uh, we talked to Ansonia Police Lieutenant Patrick Lynch, who stopped by, and um, actually it was a pretty open discussion, mm -hmm. and give some new details on uh, the Isaiah Hernandez case. So, you know, it's a little different for us. Usually we do like a weekly talk show, but, you know, we decided to do, maybe this is another way to cover uh, some of these uh, crime cases that happen in the Valley. Because when we look back to our coverage of Isaiah Hernandez, we really had no idea who he was mm. other than, you know, a family photo that had been distributed to the media and what uh, limited information the police gave out at the time so yeah that's it's like tough you know obviously when if you're a family who's grieving over the death of a, a 25 year old member of your family that's infinitely more tough but that's like one of the things like as a reporter um you know you don't want to cross the line and you know like invade their privacy when they're dealing with like a, a really tough situation and then you know you know, to ask them questions and stuff like that um but you know the uh, this woman uh, reached out to us uh, and like a few years removed I guess it's you know it's it, you could still hear you know it's still difficult for their family obviously but yeah. uh, but just to yeah as you said sort of put it out there and and, and raise awareness of it uh, more uh, is a, a good thing in and of itself to, uh, in, in the wake of you know such an awful awful thing so that being said here is Margaret Rivera talking about uh, a case involving the murder of her nephew, Isaiah Hernandez of Ansonia. Joining us on the line right now is Margaret Rivera. She is the aunt of Isaiah Hernandez, and Isaiah was shot and killed on Wakeley Avenue in Ansonia on March 16th, 2011. And uh, Ms. Rivera, first I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to Ethan and I, and uh, condolences on the loss of Isaiah uh, a few thank years you. back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, before we talk about uh, Isaiah, I want to just ask a few questions uh, about you, Ms. Rivera. Do you, where do you live? Where, where are we talking to you from right now? Uh, Long Island. 
So you're down on Long Island. And you were Isaiah's uh, aunt, so your uh, sister was Isaiah's mom. Correct. So, I'm his sister's, uh, his mother's sister, that's correct. And how is uh, his mom doing at this point? I know it's been a few years, but it's, of course, a, a loss that's never forgotten and always felt. How is she holding up? Um, well, you know, to be honest with you, she is uh, still devastated, of course. Uh, she cries often. Um, you know, she's doing as best as she can, despite the, you know, the, the, the loss of her, her firstborn. Uh, we try to be as supportive as we can, but that's, that can be very difficult at times as well because we're all grieving. Um, so it's hard to be supportive um, 100% when you're still grieving yourself. And it seems that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things that you've been doing on behalf of the extended family is to try to remind people, especially people here in the lower Naugatuck Valley, that this is an unsolved crime, that, that a family is still hurting and a family still wants justice. What have you done over the last few years to try to uh, help solve this murder? Well, I haven't been able to do much as far as uh, speaking with anybody, but I've been in close contact with the police. Um, on June 11, 2000, I'm sorry, June 11, June 20, uh, June 16, 2011, I had, um, I guess we had a press conference in front of the gas station where the murder occurred, and uh, we spoke to the public then. Uh, since then, I've just tried to build a relationship with the police to um, stay close, you know, just to keep on top of things. But uh, aside from that, um, there's not much I can do it's from this, here. It's this waiting and it's sort of this purgatory as police try to do their thing. Are the Ansonia police helpful to you when you call? I know that can be a, a frustrating thing to do because there's only so much they can share I, I suppose, or I assume. How have they been to work with? Uh, they, they've actually been very helpful. Uh, they take my call. Every time I call, they take my call. They, you know, we talk often. Um, but, you know, there's not much they can they can uh, share with me at this point, you know. Hmm. So let's talk about, uh, you had reached out to me a few uh, weeks back. And, and again, thanks for your patience and just uh, allowing Ethan and I to, to set up this interview. It took longer than we would have liked, but uh, I was thinking about how to have this conversation and what we wanted to accomplish uh, by, by talking about this. And we kind of came up, and, and I sent you uh, an email sort of with topics we were going to broach and really what our goals were. And for anybody listening, what we're hoping to do here is just to remind people at the, at the, at the most basic level, to remind people in the Valley who are living their days every day that there's an unsolved, unsolved homicide of a, of a young man yeah. that's unsolved in our community. So that means literally the killers are still out there walking free who did this um, in Ansonia on Wakeley Avenue back in 2011. And also, when I looked at our coverage and uh, tried to sort of research this case, there's not a lot out there in terms of what the media has done. I mean, we've, we've sort of written that somebody was shot and he was a father and that the family wants some closure and they're hoping for justice, but that's about it. And that happens a lot, you know, as media consolidates and reporters get laid off, we don't tell the stories like we used to. 
And so we've no idea who, who was Isaiah Hernandez. You know, who was he as a person mm. other than, than, than just a, a, you know, a young man killed? Uh, and then well, I, then, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go. I'm sorry. I, I just want to say, and then just quickly, the, the other thing I just wanted to talk about was, you know, if we can talk about any details that we know of that day, anything and everything to try to maybe, ideally, hopefully, you know, with the prayer, maybe someone will hear this and it'll trigger a memory. We can shake loose something that will help police catch the people who did this. Right. So that's I, what you, hope you, that's I, what we hope them for. Yeah, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. I apologize for that. See, I'm not a no, broadcaster. I'm just a, a, a lughead reporter. But like, where was Isaiah born? Like, let, let's talk about who he was as a human being for a little bit. Where was he born? Where did he grow up? Okay, so Isaiah was born here in Long Island in a town called Brentwood. Um, he lived here until maybe his second year in college. Um, then he moved to Florida with his family. Uh, during his, as a youngster, Isaiah was a black belt in karate. He was a basketball player, star athlete, baseball player. I mean, he played street hockey, football, basketball, baseball, you name it, he, he did it. He rode bicycle at three years old. He was the first three-year-old uh, in our family to ever learn how to ride bike by himself. He was very athletic, very energetic, loved to dance, liked music, loved family, very funny. Um, and, and dependable, you know. And what, you said Brentwood. Where's Brentwood in Long Island? What part of Long Island is that? Uh, that's eastern, um, maybe Suffolk County. Um, I guess it would be considered eastern Long Island to some degree. And does, uh, does Isaiah, and you have a large family there? Are we talking like uh, multi uh, times a year you guys get together? How, what's the, the, the family like? Well, we do have a, a, a big family, um, and whenever we got together, there, you know, we, there was uh, cousins and second cousins and, you know, neighbors and um, friends, and so, you know, we were always, there was always a big group of people uh, around us celebrating birthdays, holidays, um, just special occasions, things like that. And did Isaiah have uh, brothers and sisters? Isaiah has one brother. And that's a, a younger brother? A younger brother, yes. And what did his parents do for a living? What did his dad do uh, for a living? Well, his mother works in a, um, uh, is an office manager at a doctor's office, and his father was a uh, factory worker for a while. And that was on Long Island. You said that then, uh, what was it, in high school he moved down to Florida? Yeah, well, after high school, he attended um, college here on Long Island for uh, maybe three semesters to, you know, one and a half years, almost two years. Then they moved to Florida. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. And where did he uh, go to uh, college? What, like, where was he studying when he was in Long Island? Uh, he went to Suffolk Community College, and he was, I believe he began with liberal arts. I, I don't recall exactly, but he began with liberal arts. And then so they moved to Florida, because we should mention his life was cut short, only 25 years old. I mean, that's just only 25, just a, yeah. a tragedy right there. So how did he end up uh, in Ansonia, of all the places on uh, God's earth to, to wind up, how did he come here to the Naugatuck Valley? Well, his girlfriend. Um, he met his girlfriend in Florida, and uh, she had family in Ansonia, and she eventually moved back moved back there and he followed her he went with her 
And do you know approximately what year that was? When did he uh, settle here in the valley? No. Uh, I want to say it was probably 2009, 2010. Okay, so he, he hadn't lived here for, for a long time once he was once no. he was up here. Okay. No. And then who, who would you say his, his mentors were uh, growing up? Like, who was he close to? Well, he was close to my father. He was extremely close to his father. They were inseparable. Uh, some would even call them brothers because <laughs> mm. they were always together. But a lot of his mentors were his coaches, um, his karate instructor, who uh, taught him karate from, you know, very young to uh, his teenage years. And, um, uh, you know, family members, different family members, they, they all mentored, like we do all, all the children in the family, we all mentored the kids. But I would say mostly it was his coaches. And then how would you, uh, you know, once he was an adult uh, and, and out of high school, how would you describe his personality? I mean, obviously Ethan and I had never met Isaiah. What was his personality like? Isaiah was, as an adult, the same as he was as a child. Very athletic, funny, he loved music, he liked family. He, he was just a boy at heart, a little boy at heart, in a big body. <laughs> <laughs> and so he comes up here, he, he uh, follows his love, I guess, from Florida to Ansonia, and she has family, I guess, here in the area, and that's how they wind up uh, in Jackson Street. Were they living with, uh, like, the girl's family on Jackson Street, or they have an apartment of their own? Do you know uh, about where he's They had living? an apartment of their own not too far from her family. Okay. And uh, what type of work did he find up here? And before you answer that, I guess we should just, anybody who's not in the area listening, I mean, if, and, and Sonia and, and, and our city of Derby, I mean, I live in Derby, and we, our office is here in Ansonia. Uh, y- you know, we're former factory towns. Uh, we had relatively high unemployment around the years we're talking here. We launched this website in 2009. The, the, the unemployment rate was always, what I'm trying to say is the recession hit this area slightly harder than it did uh, the rest of Connecticut, not as bad as compared to the large uh, cities. But we're economically distressed cities. Mm. You can get an apartment for relatively cheap, but I would imagine that being 25, living up here, working on your college degree, it's, it can't, I'm assuming, this is me assuming that it's not easy uh, to find work. That, that's what I see. So when he moved up here, how was he paying his bills and what was he doing for a living? Well, he was living with her, his girlfriend's family for a good while. And then uh, they both had jobs. I'm not sure where she worked. Um, but he worked for a mattress company. He was working for a mattress company. I'm not sure. Is that like a retail thing, like selling mattresses or like uh, what type of a job was that? What no, was I'm not. Okay. I'm not sure. And, and we should also mention that he, he had a child, correct? Yes. Yes, he did. His son was uh, almost two when he was murdered, when Isaiah was murdered. Almost two years old. And what's that little boy's name? Um, I'd rather not say if that's okay. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. He's, he's still a little, you know, he's still a little guy. I don't want to... Yeah. And is he, he is he still in the area? Is, is, is the family still up here? So, uh, no, they moved away. Okay, and then uh, and I don't want to. You don't have to answer any questions that that are making you uncomfortable. That's not the the goal here. But uh, I'm, how is? Uh, I mean, I have a I have a four year old and a six year old myself. Uh, how is that little guy doing? Uh, 
Does he have memories of Isaiah or anything like that being that young? Um, you know, I, I, I tend to believe he does because every now and then he'll say something, you know, to that along those lines, like, oh, my dad this or my dad did that. But um, I, I, we, we keep, my sister keeps pictures of him around, of course, of mm. Isaiah around the house. And he knows who his father is. And um, he tends to, I think, um, get uh, really, I won't say really emotional, but he tends to get a little saddened when he hears the other kids speak of their dads and the things they do with their fathers. Mm. Um, so, but he knows who his father is. He knows that his father loved him. And, um, y- you know, he, he uh, I guess he's coping as best as he can as well. And uh, that little one, he's still a part of the family. Uh, he he sees his grandmother. He sees Isaiah's fi- uh, side of the family still. That that's got to be tremendous. Absolutely, absolutely. And that they speaks spend a lot of time with him. That speaks volumes of his mom too. How how is his mom holding up? I mean, uh, uh, Isaiah's uh, uh, girlfriend or wife. I don't know if they ever got married. No, they didn't get married. But she's she's doing well. She you know it's been a process for her as well. Um, but she's she's doing she's doing good. And then, in terms of you just mentioned a, a process. One thing I wanted to ask you in general, uh, you know, there there there's of course a, a grieving process we all hear about when we lose a loved one. But I assume it's on a different level when you lose a loved one through violence. Furthermore, you know that impact is made worse by the fact we have an unsolved crime here. Uh, how is the family able to? Uh, walk through every day are there any is there anything that you found or anybody in the family's found that that gives you strength to deal with this thing you know what gives us strength our faith in god that's what gives us strength we pray a lot um we stay close we're very supportive of one another and uh you know we learned that at an early age uh my mother used to always uh tell us that when things get rough and you feel like, you know, you're going to lose it or you feel like you can't cope, stop for a second, pray, and then regroup and keep going. You know, so that that's, that's what we do. We try to pray. We stay close to each other. We have a lot of faith in God, and we know that one day he's going to um, answer our prayers. And, um, you know, aside from that, what, what I mean, what else is there? Mm. It's hard. It's hard. It's been really hard, but uh, our faith is going to get us through. We haven't lost faith yet. And then, uh, just to start uh, to chart to start to change gears here, uh, why did you uh, reach out to us, and and why do you think it's important to to talk to the media? What what are you hoping to to accomplish? Well, I'm hoping that, or we're hoping that somebody is listening, somebody will hear this, and um, will understand what it is that we're going through, um, so that, you know, maybe maybe they'll, maybe somebody who hasn't come forward will hear it and decide it's time to come forward. Um, you know, it's, it's hard, and, and I think I said this once before when I was interviewed um, years ago, You hear, you know, I've sat in front of my television hundreds of times, and I hear of similar crimes like this. And, you know, for a minute or two, I feel really bad for the family and for their loss. 
And as soon as I turn the television off, it's it's out of my mind because it's really just a television. It's just a news article or a television segment or a news segment. But when it hits home, it's 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 hard to um, to take in. It's hard to cope. It's hard to go along with your daily activities. And so, I'm I'm hoping we're hoping that the people of Ansonia realize that he was a real person. He wasn't just somebody that they saw on television. He was a real person who was loved, who had a family. He had a child. He had a mom. He had a grandmother. He had cousins, a dad, a brother, you know, and and aunts and uncles who all, you know, who all loved him. And we all had a hand in um, raising him and watching him grow into the man that he grew up to be. And, you know, and all of that is very important um, when you're trying to let people know who he was so that they'll they'll realize that he you know he wasn't just a television he wasn't just a face on a television he was a real person and i think he meant something to us he meant something Mm -hmm. i I think that fact gets lost just by like you're saying the sort of the nature of society and i just wanted to ask you an ugly question because i think this happens too Uh, i don't think i'm making this up but, uh, you know, when I see, I've had this reaction uh, over the years. Uh, you know, I grew up in, in, in Lily White, Westchester County, northern Westchester County, New York, with no crime of, 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 to speak of at all. And so there is this tendency sometimes, well, a guy got shot. It couldn't have been random. He, he must, a young guy, mm. uh, you know, doesn't have deep roots in a community must have brought her on himself somehow. He had to be selling drugs or something like that. That's almost a, uh, I don't know if that's a bizarre coping mes- uh, mechanism the public has, but I think it's you know, like we'll see you, that on our yeah, Facebook yeah. page. Or we'll when you s- live in a community, you, you, you don't want, I, maybe it's like you don't want to project, you, you don't want to think, you know, you could be a victim of violence, so if somebody else was a victim of violence, like they must have brought it on themselves right. somehow. It's know, almost like that. a NIMBY, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a bizarre thing. But you, you, we see that, and I don't mean to uh, disrespect you or the family, but there is there. There's always that feeling out there. Uh, have you confronted that at all? And how would you say? How would you answer something like that? Uh, what was you Isaiah? Know, to be honest, to be honest, we have not. Um, we have not confronted that at all. Hmm. Um, I we we still to this day don't know what the um, circumstances were uh, leading up to it. We don't know why it happened or. Or exactly how it happened. I mean, I mean, we're still in the dark. Um, no one has ever said to me, or I believe has ever said to my sister, you know, that we think that, um, you know, that they think that he was involved in something ugly. Uh, of course, you know, when the news broke and people were commenting on, um, you know, the news on the website yeah. on the internet, they were making. You know, snide remarks and things like that. But we, we just, um, I think there was one person who said something to the effect like, uh, oh, yeah, I'd look into that if I were you. But uh, I think that was the, the rudest comment maybe that we that we encountered, to my knowledge. Um, well, so, that's, actually, yeah. that's actually good to hear. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I myself, when I went in June and spoke to uh, the media, uh, I had a conversation with a business owner in the area who said to me that my nephew was a very respectful young man, and every time he saw him, he was with his son, 
and that every day he would come past his business strolling his son in the stroller and he said um you know you, that was a good guy and that made me happy because uh the last thing you want to hear is that oh wow he was a bad guy he was this he was that you know especially when you know who he was at home so it, it you know um as far as i know uh the people in the area really you know they liked him those that knew him and we should also point you know, out, you know, there was a there was another uh, a shooting, just almost immediately before mm-hmm. uh, Isaiah was shot, and this was uh, in Ansonia, also, which is a small city uh, in Connecticut. Uh, a man named uh, Daryl Venson, also twenty five years old, was shot at the corner of Hill Avenue and Route Street. I remember I covered that one uh, myself. Have police ever said to you? I mean, we've been told over the years, although we haven't checked in with police mm-hmm. as of this recording. Have police ever said to you whether they looked into whether those two shootings were connected somehow? Uh, yes. They, 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 as a matter of fact, I asked if they thought that the shootings were connected, and they said no. Mm-hmm. They said they did not believe that it was related at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and I guess we should oh. slightly backtrack for a second. I mean, let's talk about uh, March sixteenth, two 2011. I mean, Isaiah lived on Jackson Avenue. He was shot and killed uh, at the at, at a gas station, essentially, not far from his house at all on Wakeley Avenue, which is a main thoroughfare of sorts uh, mm-hmm. in Ansonia. Uh, people, you can get off at Route Eight and in Seymour there at Tritown Plaza if you want to go down to Griffin main Hospital. Street on the West Side, right? The main. There you go. Thank you, Ethan. Uh, so he's in. He was in his girlfriend's car, uh, a white uh, a sedan, I think. Uh, do you have any idea? Can you take us through that day? What was he doing at the gas station? Where had he come from? Where was he going? I mean, we're talking 6 p.m. Uh, it was a nice night. It was a clear day. Mm. wasn't dark yet, uh, and and he was shot and killed. Can you talk to us about the day? Anything that you know? Well, as far as I know, he had just dropped his son off at the babysitters. Um, the his girlfriend was going to be picking the baby up when she got home from work, and he was on his way to school. He had his, um, he he was going to school at a, um, like an auto body place. I'm not sure of the name, I'm not sure of the name, but he had on his uh, mechanic's uniform, okay. I guess, if you will. And uh, he was on his way there. Um, after he dropped the baby off, we don't know what happened. All we know is that somehow or another he ended up at the gas station. Um, the babysitter was this like a, a, a home thing where he dropped it off with uh, an indi- was it like a, a, a daycare or commercial oh, center? Family member. A no, family, a family member. member. Okay. In Ansonia. In Ansonia, correct. Okay. So. And, uh, so uh, between that time and the time he was killed, we we don't know what happened. In the car, I and mean, the just babysitter was on Jackson Street as well, so around the corner from Wakeley. So we're not sure. Okay, and the car itself, he wasn't stopping and get getting gas. It was sort of parked in a. Where was it parked in in that gas station parking lot? It wasn't at a pump, from what I remember. Um, I'm you know to be honest, uh, when I looked at the pictures, it looked like he was um, coming out of the gas station. So I want to believe that he went into the gas station for something. I'm not. I'm not sure. And then, from what I remember of the police account, and, and you know, there weren't a ton of details uh, released. They 
you know, police obviously tried to keep some things close to the vest, mm. I assume. But it was unusual in that he was shot in a car. Two people uh, were in the car with him somehow. Mm-hmm. And he's shot and he gets out and falls down and passes away. Do we have... And then these two people, I think presumably men, uh, make their way, uh, walk out. They're on, on video surveillance yeah, camera. Yeah. They just walk or run onto Wakeley Avenue, I believe. Ethan, is that basically or like how? Yeah, across to Church Street, I think, maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what can you tell us, if anything, uh, either what the police told you or, or people you might have talked to, or what happened? Uh, who were these people? I know you don't know specifically, but... Is that sort of the gist of what happened? Because it's, so biz- it's just so bizarre that they were in the car. Do you, do you have any theories or any info you can share with us? Well, I know just about as much as you. Um, I, I, we were told the same thing, that the, the two that were in the car with him um, left on foot up Church Street. Um, we don't know who they are, why they were in the car, or if they were even in the car completely you know what i mean okay um so so we don't we don't know we still don't know anything we don't know what they look like what they were wearing we don't know anything we just know that these two people ran up church church street and sort of disappeared into the into the night something that like you we hear from police sometimes a lot uh especially with regard to unsolved crimes is that there is, you know, quote unquote, law of the street where like, you, you know, people who have information about crimes uh, don't talk about them or don't bring the information to police because they'll be labeled as like a rat or something. Um, and like you, we hear it from police in, in terms of unsolved crimes, like, oh, we we think we know who did this, but like we just can't get people to identify them as a suspect. And when you've talked to police and, and talked to other people about this, do they... Uh, do they give you that impression? Do you think that like there's people out there who who know who did this who just who just for whatever reason won't uh, come forward to the to the police? Uh, I do. I believe that there are people out there who know exactly um, who these people are, and they won't say anything. But you know, I, I get it. I understand. You know, but that's that's our fault, society's fault, because mm. as children, we were taught, right, not to tattletale. So just imagine, uh, your pre- you said you have a six-year-old, right? Yes, yeah. So he, he goes to school, uh, He, it, it, you know, when he's in class and he sees one of his friends doing something, he tells the teacher, you know, Robert is picking on so-and-so, and the teacher says, stop tattletaling. So we teach them to mind their business. Mm. So naturally, as adults, we carry that on, right? We learn to mind our business. Don't say anything. Be quiet. Stop tattling. And that's what happens. You know, you, you witness things like this, and the first thing that comes to your mind is, I better be quiet. I better act like I didn't, you know, like I didn't see that. You know, I'm not supposed to say anything because that's that's our culture. That culture has to change if we're ever going to stop these crimes from happening. Cause, yeah, it does. A, it, it sort of uh, aids and abets them in a way. This this culture thought that we we, you know we can't uh, we can't be snitches and even uh, you know i think people the other thing here now it's been uh however many years since 2011 six years uh i mean there could have been people driving by who have information and just never decided to Mm. 
to pass it along too about a description or something like that. Uh, what have the, I mean? Is there anything that the police told you uh, in in the subsequent years uh, that might help? Have they given out any kind of information to you uh, or any kind of theory? Because I saw one thing floating around in one of the articles. I don't even know if it was attributed, but there, the thought was like, well, maybe this was a a robbery gone bad. Uh, are there any? Any theories that well, have been ruled out or ruled in? No, nothing yet. I know that the the first, you know, the night it happened, um, I spoke with, I don't remember who the detective was, but I spoke with a uh, police officer who said that, oh, you know, they thought it might be a robbery gone bad. But after that, um, we, you know, haven't been, haven't been given any details. I don't think they know yet or if they know... Uh, they can't share it yet. I'm, I'm not sure. So we don't know what the theory is. We don't know if they have a theory yet. Um, you know, we just, right now, we're still in the dark about the whole the whole incident. Were you able to see the images of the suspects walking away or anything like that? I don't know if that's ever been shared with no. the public. Not at all. And no, what about... Have you, I know you you did the press conference uh, at, at some point uh, after the crime the business owner and the business workers, have they cooperated with police, you know? Do, have they talked? Uh, have they talked to you? Did, did, have they said anything or shared any theories? No, they didn't They didn't talk to us, and they haven't shared any theory either. Whether or not they've spoken with the police, I'm, I'm not sure. I guess I haven't been, you know, I'm, I'm not privy to everything. Um, but, uh, no, they, nothing, as far as I know. I mean, of course, they had to give up the video because, police mm-hmm. uh you know but no we weren't uh the video wasn't shared with us uh nor have we had conversations with the business owner and uh, are there any theories among the family uh or the uh, isaiah's uh girlfriend the mother of his child who had lived up here and had family who i, I don't know her name and i'm not asking her name but ha- have, have they had any theories since they're uh in the neighborhood uh, more than you are in, in Long Island. Do they have any ideas or theories or, or guesses as to who might have done no. this? No, they've uh, we've all they've all and uh, they've all been racking their brain trying to uh, come up with a theory. Um, but you know, nobody nobody knows nobody knows, and uh, I you know that's one of the reasons too why why I wanted to do this because. Um, I'm hoping somebody could tell us why it happened. Mm. You, you know, tell us what they believe happened or why they believe it happened, because we know nothing. We're just as, uh, you know, in the dark about the whole situation today as we were on March 16, 2011. Mm. And he had no have a clue. He had no obvious, he had any, any uh, strange encounters in the days or hours leading up to this, any kind of arguments with anybody or anything like that? I mean, obviously he had no known memory, uh, enemies or anything? No, I, just, that's what I mean. Isaiah yeah. was, was very popular here, anyway, because he was such an athlete. Everybody loved him, hmm. which is, um, for me, it's hard to believe that he had any enemies. I, I just never saw him that way. Um... It, I I don't know. I'm just baffled. I, I don't I don't understand why this would have happened. But I'm hoping that somebody will come forward and you know even if they don't know who these people are, if they know why it happened, shed some light on that for us because we're still in the dark. 
and here's the thing where the community at least talking about it mm. I mean I know it's it's frustrating because you know I'm asking questions and no, and no one ha- has answers at this point but that's a little glimpse into I can't even imagine what it's like uh, for the family the level of uh, frustration and grief over uh, over this crime it's just maddening but at the end of this yeah. what we'll also do I mean after we're we're, we're done interviewing you we'll, we'll check in with police and we'll put a uh, phone number we'll uh, sort of uh, do a, an additional recording where we talk about uh, how people can share information if they have any. I mean, it can be anonymous, and uh, I think anything and, and any everything can can help. There's you know, police can't have too much information in cases like like this because uh, obviously somebody knows who did this. Those people are still out there somewhere in, in our community. So before I let you go, Margaret, is there anything I know I've uh, been babbling a lot, but is there anything that you want to touch upon or uh, address an area that we haven't asked uh, through our line of questioning? Um, you know, I, I can't really think of anything in particular that I want to, um, uh, you know, add, but I, I just want to say that uh, we have to begin to change the culture of our society. Because we all have children. I have children. You have children. You know, uh, children. They, and Sonia is filled with children now, children who are going to have children. But my, my point is that um, at some point we have to start policing our own streets, you know. And when we see a crime, don't be afraid to report it. You have to say something. Otherwise, you know, these... Um, people who commit crimes like this are going to continue to commit crimes and we're going to continue to see murder after murder on television or read about it in the paper because no one wants to say anything so as long as they're getting away with it they're going to continue to do it and they may even raise up their own children to be murderers you know it's not going to stop there so we have to we have to change our culture and um you know begin to open our eyes and police our own streets so that we can clean it up, you know, clean this place up. It's it's bad. It's a bad situation. And like I said, our family never believed, I never believed that we would ever be in, in this, uh, you know, on this side of the fence. Um, you know, you see it on television all the time, like I said earlier, and you watch it. And when it's over, you turn it off and you say you just you say to yourself, "Wow, I feel really bad for that family." Mm. But you go on with your own life. But when it hits home, and it happens uh, to you, your take on it is is totally different. Um, of course, you know you you want help. You want somebody to come out and say, "Listen, I know what happened to your loved one. This is what happened." Um, and you know that's all we can hope for is that somebody will see this and come forward and and want to say something and and uh you know help us put a closure to this well i hope you know ethan and i both hope uh i can catch who did this because uh, we live in the community up here too so mm-hmm. it, it's actually literally in our in our interest to to see this uh conclude but i want to uh thank you for taking the time to talk to us, I hope my questions for reaching out to us. Yeah, in the first weren't. Place. Yeah, I hope you. You know, we weren't uh, offensive or stepped over any lines. But I, but uh, you know, our goal is is the same as yours. And uh, with that, I want to. I, I just want to say thank you. I thank you for taking the time to uh, letting my voice be heard, our voice be heard on behalf of Isaiah. You know, we we're, we're looking for closure, and um, 
that's all we can hope for. And like I said, we're staying prayerful and faithful, and, um, and hopefully, you know, we'll get something. Something will happen soon. All right, Mar, and you have my email, so you can you have all our emails. So uh, anytime, yeah. if there's anything we can do uh, to help or, or anything like that, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. I really appreciate talking to the both of you. Thank you very much. Thank all you. Right. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Okay, this is Eugene again of ValleyIndy.org. I'm joined by Ethan Fry, and that was Margaret Rivera talking about uh, how the the death of her nephew Isaiah has affected the family, what they're doing to cope with it. And, you know, you heard us ask a a lot of questions. I hope we didn't come across as uh, unsympathetic, but, uh, you know, we're trying to shake loose information, perhaps, ideally, in a perfect world, that would help bring the killers excuse me to justice Mm. so after we had we had taped that on uh thursday uh whatever day that was whatever date that was uh june 15th that was when we 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 taped and then afterward i had said to you ethan hey why don't you drop a line to the ansonia police department Mm -hmm. just as a way of checking in uh and i had assumed that we would just get a, a quick email back saying, "Hey, we're pursuing all possible yeah, leads. Yeah, yeah. We're, you know, we've been working the case. We haven't forgotten." And that was that. But I had said, "Like, oh, well, let, let's ask if maybe uh, if, they, if ideally they would come in and talk mm. to us uh, on this recording, and we could do a more in-depth interview and uh, just talk to people how what happened when you sent the email." Well, yeah, like within minutes of the Ansonia Police uh, spokesman, uh, Lieutenant Patrick Lynch. Uh, called me back uh and said you know yeah like well well name name the time and place and i'll come in and and talk to you guys yeah which was great Um, yeah yeah which is and like you know as you said often police uh sort of hold hold the cards close to the vest for the obvious reason that they're you know investigating unsolved crime don't want to talk too much about it publicly um but you know in, in a case like this i guess like the 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 more you talk about it the the better chance it is to to get solved maybe is the the uh the yeah. theory and it, it's you know it's good to 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 have that sort of transparency i guess and just a little bit about lieutenant lynch before he comes on because he's going to be uh, up next and i just i just realized i i, I turned my microphone way down I, I thought it was yours so anyway i'm gonna uh just a little bit about uh, lieutenant lynch he's been a police officer for i think about 28 years he's closing in on 30 years around there uh Prior to being a lieutenant, he's the PIO. He's a public information officer, but he also is a supervisor doing uh, you know non-PIO stuff all day. But he was prior to that, he was the detective sergeant, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically the lead detective mm-hmm. in the de- in in the department. So he is familiar with this this case of uh, Isaiah Hernandez and Daryl Venson, uh, which is another case we talk about. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, without further ado, here is Lieutenant Lynch of the Ansonia Police Department. So joining me in the Valley Indy office uh, this morning is Lieutenant Patrick Lynch, a veteran member of the Ansonia Police Department. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to come in, Lieutenant Lynch. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Good morning, Eugene. So we had, uh, when listeners hear this, they will have just heard about a 40-minute conversation with Margaret uh, Rivera, the aunt of Isaiah Hernandez, young man of 25 who was shot and killed in a parking lot, Wakeley Avenue, in Ansonia back in 2008. And eleven, and I don't know how much you can share specifically about uh, that investigation. But before we get into that, 
I just was wondering, uh, when a homicide comes in or, or an act of violence where someone has died, uh, how does it, it comes into the department and how do you divide who does what? If you could just sort of walk us through that general process. Sure. Most calls like that when they come in, the initial response is by our patrol division. Our patrol officers are the first ones on scene. They're responsible to assess the situation, secure any crime scene that may be necessary, and make a determination if the detective bureau is necessary. If the detective bureau is needed, call is put out to them. Detective bureau comes in, they begin their investigation. Uh, If we have a larger or more complicated scene, we will rely a lot on the Connecticut State Police Major Crimes. Um, They have uh, three units, Western, Central, and Eastern, we under the Central District. They will come down and they'll process the scene for us to allow our detectives to do the investigation end of it so that the scene is processed, all the evidence necessary is collected, and our detectives can work just on interviewing people and gathering uh, the evidence through the interviews that we need to process the case. And, and as a layman uh, on my end, could you explain uh, just a little bit more about like, the difference between like processing the scene and then you had mentioned the investigation? So it's basically one gathering the, the forensic type stuff? Yes, yeah, so it, it would be the fingerprint evidence, the DNA evidence, any evidence left behind, guns, knives, um, things like that. So that is process, that's what's considered processing the scene. The, the location where the actual crime took place, you're going to have evidence left behind. So you need to process that, but also you need to interview the victim, any witnesses, um, and possibly suspects. So you have to be able to go in like two different directions. So it's easier if you have a group that's set just to process the actual physical scene while you can have a second group going out and doing interviews. So this way you're not trying to do two things at once. And you had mentioned if the case or scene is complicated look what's a what's a definition of that or an example of that complicated would be a a larger scene uh maybe um an outdoor scene where you're um where you have multiple locations because the suspects or victims went from one area to another. Um, in the Hernandez case, I can speak specifically. The initial scene was inside Mr. Hernandez's car. He then got out of the car uh, and in his attempt to, to run from the scene, he collapsed several feet away. So now you have the car as one scene, but then you have the parking lot in the area that he traversed as a secondary scene. And then you have the suspects who got out of the car. They also ran in another direction. So then you have to also check that area to see if there's any evidence left behind. So that would be more of a complicated scene where we had, in that case, the state police came down and they processed the car in the parking lot for us. So that left us to be able to interview witnesses and uh, follow up on the route that the uh, suspects fled. So, and now that that's a natural segue into this specific case. Yep. Oh, one of the things, I mean, from the reporter's end and from talking to, to Margaret Rivera, there's so much we don't know just in terms of, uh, you know, you mentioned he was in his car. The initial reports on this had indicated he was actually, two people were in, two men were in the car with him. Uh, I guess it was like a white four-door sedan. Yes. Of some type. Uh, can you talk a little bit more of like what happened or what is thought to have happened inside that car? Like where was where was Isaiah? Generally, sitting, I can. Yeah, or? generally I can. I mean, we know that uh, Mr. Hernandez was in the vehicle with two with two people. Um, 
that they ended up pulling into the parking lot and there was some type of an altercation. So, so they, they were in they were in the car with him before yes. he got yes before he the, got to this before he got to the parking lot they had come from another location and pulled into the gas station parking lot and we know there was some type of an altercation in the car based on video evidence and evidence we recovered from inside the car. At some point while they were inside the car, Mr. Hernandez was shot multiple times. Once he was shot, he fled the car, collapsed in front of the gas pumps. He was taken to the hospital where he's ultimately uh, passed uh, as a result of the gunshot wounds. Um, the two suspects also fled the car, and based on video evidence, we know that they fled south on Church Street. Oh, actually, um, east on Church Street towards the Pine Grove Cemetery, Howard Avenue area. Um, so like we had talked to, to uh, Ms. Rivera again, and she said that the last time uh, Mr. Hernandez was seen, as far as they knew, was he was dropping off his then, I guess, two-year-old son at a babysitter on, on, on Jackson? That's the information we have, yes. And do you know, with those the two men that were with him, they're obviously known to him then. Yes. Were they with him at that point? They, no, they were not with him. Uh, we know where he picked them up. We have... Uh, I can't share that information. That's part of the ongoing investigation. We know where he picked them up. Um, we have, for the most part, identified them. We are just trying to get all of the information into um, a warrant so that we can make an arrest on the case. It's And let me ask you about warrants in general, because this is, I, I think, uh, you know, even as a reporter, we, we read warrants all the time in mm -hmm. court, but the actual inside process of getting a warrant, going, you're taking that big step in, in the investigation, just how does that work? An, an arrest warrant is basically a statement of the facts that's going to give you probable cause, probable cause to make an arrest, probable cause to believe that a crime has been committed by a specific person or persons. Um, you need to document all your facts, both um, that implicate the suspects, but anything that may be considered exculpatory, which may exclude them. You, you need to make sure all your facts are in the warrant, because if you don't put any exculpatory information in there, you've now opened yourself up to, to liability in that you're you're withholding information that is beneficial to a potential suspect. So you need to make sure you have all your facts in there. In a homicide case, it's there's so much information that goes into a warrant between the evidence discovered at the scene, the witnesses spoken to, um, the medical examiner's report determining the exact cause of death and uh, things like that, that they tend to be rather lengthy, and they're, they're, um, it takes time to do them. And uh, in terms of, and this might be the wrong terminology, but when you present a warrant, when you, you write it up, the detectives write it, I assume it gets reviewed by the... Sergeant. A, a, okay. It gets reviewed by the supervisor. Sergeant? For the okay. detective bureau, the detective sergeant, and then a lieutenant would review this, the arrest warrant. Okay. It, um, it then goes down. It's, it's actually the same process for both patrol and detective bureau. Our patrol officers also do warrants on, on, my, on we'll say, minor crimes, simple assaults, larcenies, things like that. Um, a sergeant will review the warrant. He will then give it to the lieutenant. Lieutenant reviews it. It then gets sent to court where it's reviewed by a prosecutor. Prosecutor will determine whether they agree with your probable cause or not. They'll sign it. goes to a judge. Okay. Judge reads it. Judge signs it. Then it comes back, and you now have to serve it. And uh, this might be a stereotype, but a lot of times uh, you'll hear uh, police complain that, well, they feel they have enough, but it, it's either hung up on the on the level of the prosecutor or perhaps the judges. Can you comment on that with this case at all? Do you think you have enough? I, I can comment that I, I think we have a strong case. Uh, 
Detective Stephen Adcox is the lead detective on it. He has worked on it for the almost the entire six years. I mean, I would say he's worked on it for the entire six years. I was his supervisor up until last July. You were Detective Sergeant. I was Detective you- Sergeant up until last July. I was Detective Sergeant when this incident happened. And Steve has put a tremendous amount of work into it, talking to people, gathering evidence, doing search warrants. Um, and he has put together a case that we are continually going back and forth with the court and, and trying to fine tune. Our, our burden is probable cause. When it goes to court and it goes to trial, it's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So there's, there I think is what the main difference is. While you can have probable cause, because, you know, not to get too technical, you know, it's drilled in your head in the, the academy, it's facts and circumstances which would lead a reasonable person to believe a crime has been committed. In court, you have to go proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a much higher standard. It's a much higher standard. So a prosecutor may look at it and say, yes, you have probable cause, but I'm not sure there's enough here for me to win the case in court, and I want to make sure that this person is held responsible for what they do, so let's keep working the case. Let's get more information. And that's basically what's going on in this case. We We are trying to gather as much information to make the case as solid as we can. And uh, the detectives have put a tremendous amount of effort and work into it. And they work on a regular basis with the court. Um, along with his regular cases that he pulls, Steve has regular meetings, uh, both with the family. He's, he's reached out, had contact with the family to try to keep them updated as much as we can. And he's had contact with the prosecutors to see how we can push forward and get this done. How confident are you that you'll be able to get that warrant signed and, and arrest somebody? I'm and very, I'm very confident. I, I think it's a strong case. I, th- I think we're almost there, and I think that um, given given a few more things that have to be done, I think we might be able to uh, get a successful conclusion to this. And it was uh, was Isaiah driving the car? Isaiah was driving the car. Yes. And so, and then he had a person next to him and a person behind. Passenger him. and then a backseat passenger. And then which person? Uh, I'm not going to reveal that. That's part of the investigation that we would keep because even where they were sitting. Yeah, we're not going to reveal that only because um, in a case like this, if and when we do make an arrest, we want to be able to talk to the people and try to get a true statement from them the suspects the suspects gotcha. get a true statement from them where they haven't heard before so they can't try to tailor their story around well i know the cops are looking for this so i'm going to say this because it helps me better basically what's been the biggest stumbling block in terms of this investigation uh we've heard just talking i mean we've only been around since 2009 when the valley indy launched there was what looking back an unusual amount of violence happening in derby and ansonia yes uh, to the point where we started to recognize uh, Ansonia or Derby would send out press releases about uh, just random crimes. And it was always the same names involved. And then it turned out there was a big drug raid. Uh, and it was basically, you're talking about uh, a small group of people who were literally uh, uh, related, who were uh, uh, sort of allegedly perpetrating all these yes. crimes. And what we heard over and over again in talking to police there, nobody wants to say anything. And even with uh, when we talked to Margaret Rivera, she said, you know, there's something with our culture today. Uh, not just it's, it's not just, you know, coded streets anymore. It's our entire society mm-hmm. likes to clam up, put their head down, mind their own business and yes. not get involved. Has that been an issue in this investigation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you hit it on the head with the cultural thing. It's not, it used to be, you know, when, if you stop snitching, you know, don't be a snitch. And that's kind of grown into 
people just don't want to get involved. They may have information, but they just don't want to get involved. You, you interview somebody, and they're like, well, I'm not going to have to go to court on this, am I? You know, so we have run into a problem where we believe there are people out there with information. We believe there are people that can give us more information that's going to help us with this case. And they just don't want to come forward for a variety of reasons. Some are actually scared and, and we understand that. And, and we offer them protection and we tell them that we'll do our best to make them safe and keep them from harm. Um, some people just, it's not my business, so I'm not getting involved in it. And those are the people we need to change. Those are the people that need to understand that they have information. There's also some people that may have information that they don't think is relevant or important, but it may be because it may be the know. it may be the final link that we meet. It may, it may be a small. They may think it's completely insignificant, and it's something that kind of gives us the last piece we need. So that's why we say all information is important. All information should be given to us. We will look at everything. We will keep your, your, your name confidential if that's what you choose. But if we can get the information from you, it may help us further the investigation. So I think one of the, and maybe this is just my opinion or assumption, but as someone who sort of interacts with readers, especially on Facebook and social media, where yes. uh, people may say things that they might not necessarily say to your face or, or my face. But there is, uh, because this was on Wakely Avenue in relative, it was 6 p.m., I think the sun was still up. Yeah. Wakely Avenue is a busy road. To have somebody uh, executed essentially there, fall, gets out, falls out, out of his car, and have two guys run away, the assumption by someone who is I'm not involved in police work, that this would be easy. That how could these guys still be out there after all these all these years? I mean, I, I assume you've... I wouldn't disagree ahead. with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, listen, it, it is. It's 610. It's 610 on a uh, Wednesday night dusk because it's march march 16th so it's dusk um but it's a main road and it's a gas station slash convenience store that is fairly busy i, I mean i, I want to say there was if i remember correctly there had to be at least another half a dozen people at least either in the parking lot or walking by the parking lot or in the general area and maybe somebody saw something that can help us maybe somebody knows more and that's what we're hoping for and uh, that's what we ask you know, call the police department, 203-735-1885. And then in terms of why, hasn't the, why haven't the police department, I don't know that's proper grammar, why has the police department not released a description of the suspects or any video uh, surveillance in this case? We haven't released the video surveillance because at this point it's not going to identify the people. Um, the, the video, while it gives us an idea of what happened, it's not... Uh, it's not clear enough where if you looked at it, you could say, oh, I know that's, you know, John Smith. It, it, it won't do that. So at this point, uh, that's a piece of information that we want to keep because it's something that the detectives will use in their investigation if and when they interview a suspect to say, okay, we know you were there. Tell us what you did. And then you can go back at them when they tell you an obvious lie. And then you can say, well, here's the video. You said this, but look, you're doing this. So that's one of the reasons sometimes things aren't released. I can tell you that's the main reason it's not released here. Um, suspect description was um, based on the video. We can say there are two males. Uh, we believe one is a black male, and we believe one is either a white male or a Hispanic male, but we don't know definitively. So, you know, the suspect is the suspect information is basically two males. And it's so generic. And just generic because that's what we have. And, uh, in terms of, do you think the, are these two suspects, do they still live in the area? Are they out of state? Are they? They're still in the state of Connecticut. And so are you watching them? Does... I can't really comment on that right now. 
Okay. Do you know, are they still in the Naugatuck Valley? And where uh, my question... I'd, I'd have to check. I'm not really sure. Because Isaiah, from what his family said, had only lived in uh, the valley for, I think, a year or two. Yeah, it was, a very, it was a very short time. So my, like, uh, are there any underlying uh, things that were going on in his life or uh, underlying causes that helped contribute to this? Uh, and is there anything about the suspect? Do they have a history of... Uh, that stuff, I really... We, we're not going to comment on that. And I had, I had asked uh, uh, Ms. Hernandez, you know, I, I had said quite wordy because I was sort of afraid to ask this question, but there is a tendency, at least I think, when someone gets shot and the, and the situation is unusual and we're sort of a society that's conditioned to seeing this all the time on the news, you, you kind of blame the victim. You say, well, he must have been up to something that was no good. Uh, can you comment at all? Uh, I, I can't comment specifically on that, but I will agree with you that people tend to, to prejudge things, and, and that might be one of the reasons people aren't coming forward because you know people have the assumption that, well, he caused his, he caused his own problems, and we don't look at it that way. As the police department, as the investigators, we look at it like there is a crime, and we need to find out why the crime happened and who did it. We don't care what the other person was doing for the most part. I mean, that's kind of a gen that's a very large general statement. For the most part, he was shot and killed. Whatever he was doing did not warrant him being shot and killed. Mm -hmm. So we tend to not have that as a focus. It's not like there was an altercation where he was armed and then the person who shot him was defending themselves. We know that was not the case. Um, so, you know, that's that's how we tend. We we try to look at just the facts that are pertinent to the crime that happened. And then just speaking in general, just in case there's anybody who listens to this and maybe isn't from Ansonia or mm -hmm. the Naugatuck Valley, uh, how many detectives are there in the Ansonia Police Department? Is it more or less uh, in in the last six years? And then how many officers? at the time at the time of the incident we had? Um, just trying to think back, we had. Four detectives and myself, and currently we have six detectives and detect, uh, six detectives, including a detective sergeant. So we've we've added an extra detective. Um, so the unique issue with this, and we, we talked about this before we came on, was that this was the second homicide in a week. Um, in my 27 years, we've never had homicides that close. I put a tremendous strain on our resources. Um, but, you know, with the help of the state police, we were able to get the scenes done and we were able to do both investigations and we continue to investigate both of them. And the other uh, homicide that you had just mentioned was a uh, Daryl Venson. Yes. 25 Ansonia resident. He was shot and killed at the corner of Hill Avenue and Root Street. And uh, of course, at the time, I immediately connected the two in my head. Yes. Uh, because prior to that, I guess in 2009, 2010, like I had mentioned earlier, there were shootings, a uh, couple in Derby, that were directly related to one another. You basically had yes. people going around and shooting each other, then in retribution, shooting right. another guy. Yes. Uh, but in this case, can you... In this case, there are no connections. Uh, other than the proximity of the crimes, as far as time-wise, there are no connections. One occurred on basically the east side and hilltop area. The other occurred on the west side. The only similarities are is your the age of your victims are both 25-year-old males. And there was 
two other there was two suspects involved, but we we know that the suspects in the cases are not the same. So there's four suspects. So we have four suspects. We have four suspects totals between the two homicides, two for the, Mr. Hernandez's homicide and two for Mr. Venson's homicide. Um, Mr. Venson's homicide was, there's a little market on the corner of Hill Street and Route Avenue. They were on the side, some type of altercation. He was shot multiple times. They suspects fled on foot and he uh, collapsed on the sidewalk and ultimately uh, succumbed to his uh, gunshot wounds at the hospital also. And the the altercation was it a random uh, just kind of street argument or was this no it wasn't it was not it, it all the parties were known to each other um, this is another case of and this is this is probably a, a more glaring example of a failure to cooperate from witnesses and that they just don't we've we've done multiple interviews with witnesses and they just don't want to give us the information and. You know, we continually interview them and try to get across to them that there is a 25-year-old man that is dead, and we need to take the people that are responsible and and arrest them. And we worked that case. That's um, that was Jimmy Frolish's case. Um, he's now a detective sergeant, but he still he still looks at it on a regular basis, seeing if there's anything he can follow up on, who he can interview. He's done again. He's done multiple interviews on that case, and it's. Um, it's, it's a case that is not going to go away, and we're not going to forget about it, and we're going to keep plugging away, and hopefully we can get some kind of good resolution to it. In the Venson case, are you uh, not as close? We are not as close in the Venson case because we've, we've had zero cooperation from potential witnesses. So what do you think the, I mean, is the best bet there that one of these witnesses, I mean, this sounds cynical to say, but they'll get arrested for something, and then... Sometimes, sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes, you know, person finds himself in trouble and all of a sudden uh, I got my I got my ticket you know my get out of jail free card and they try to use it um, you know I'm just hoping somebody will will realize that they have a responsibility to come forward and do the right thing okay those are pretty much uh, all my questions uh, although actually you know I had one last question about uh, the Hernandez case do we have any idea why they stopped at that particular gas station was it uh not that I'm aware of. It just it has had, no connection to anything. No, the gas station had no connection. I think it was just a, the somewhere to, to park the car or to stop the car. Okay. And would you give out the phone number one last time? Sure. Uh, for anybody who has information, and of course, this can be anonymous. It's not. It's like absolutely. We you, you don't have to leave a name. It's complete. All 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 information is completely anonymous. We do not have caller ID, so we can't we can't log your number when you call. You call, ask to speak to uh, someone in the detective bureau if you have information on any case, and they can get you to the right people. The number you should call is 203-735-1885. That's 203-735-1885. That'll go right to our dispatch, and they will get you to the right person. Okay. And with that, Lieutenant Lynch, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it and for giving us information. You're welcome, Eugene. So that was Lieutenant Lynch of the Ansonia Police Department uh, talking about uh, two unsolved homicides in the city of Ansonia. Prior to that, we had on Margaret Rivera, who is the aunt of uh, Isaiah Hernandez, one of the uh, people killed in the murder remains 
unsolved, but as you heard, Lieutenant Lynch thinks they are very, very close. And the only thing I, I didn't ask, and I guess it would have been an unfair question, like could he put a time frame as to when maybe mm-hmm. they'll get uh, some, uh, you know, an arrest warrant out there? But I, I guess that would have been a stupid question anyway. But uh, Ethan, did you just want to give out? Yeah, some- uh, if you have any information about any unsolved crime in Ansonia, the police would love to hear from you. Uh, the number is two zero three. Seven three five one eight eight five, and again, two zero three seven three five one eight eight five. And I want to thank Margaret Rivera for taking the time to speak to us. I want to thank Lieutenant Lynch for taking the time to speak to us, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you. <laughs>